Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's the Story podcast, little old WTS pod. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. How are you? Right. I am absolutely super duper, my friend. How are you keeping? Do you forget what number we're on? No. No. Oh, okay. Does it look like Sorry. I'm looking down at my phone rather than looking into your deep, deep di- your eyes there? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was actually just uh, confirming our guest's Twitter handle so that I could plug it because I forgot to ask him while we were recording with him. Right. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Graham? Yeah, good. All good. That's what I like to hear, man. That's what I like to hear. Um, we had a, a lovely reaction, as always, to uh, to, to, to Gary Mackle on the podcast last week. Did. It's it's always interesting when Gary's around. Um, and uh, I think slowly but surely people who were haters originally have <laughs> become avid fans. And if that man wanted to start a cult in twenty twenty, I believe he's capable. Was, was there is there haters to Gary? Always, right. always. Um, he he has the ability to both please and antagonize in equal measure. Does Gary? Well, the- few reports coming in and I'm told people were thinking that there was a bit of an arc twang off Gary's accent which is interesting and we might delve into that when we have Gary on again before Christmas did you, maybe. Did, did you say we might delve into that before we have Gary on? We might delve into that. De- do you mean delve? Delve, that's what I mean. <laughs> that's two this week. That's two this week. Uh, Edit it out will you? <laughs> I won't. You'll have to keep listening, lads, to hear the second one later on in the podcast when we were chatting to our guest who was making a triumphant return to the podcast. A year um, to the day since we had him. A year to the day since we had him, yeah. This being the 194th edition of What's the Story podcast, um, we, we do repeat guests, lads, because when we like them and they like us, we say, fuck it, why not? And we're lazy. And, and that, and definitely that. <laughs> Uh, but our, our guest this week is, he is one of Ireland's finest sports writers, and rather you get wound up by him on Twitter or not, he is uh, a journalist who just, his his work transcends just your bog standard writing from a paper. It's proper fucking journalism, and I love having him on the podcast. And I'm even more excited about the fact that he has a new book out, and it's called Chaos is a Friend of Mine, and it's about Conor McGregor. And I haven't read it yet, but I'll be popping out to my nearest bookshop over the weekend to purchase it because I'm sure it'll be unputdownable, as they say, Graham Merrigan. Unputdownable. And who's our guest? The one and only Ewan McKenna. Ewan, thanks, man, for joining us. Absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to delving into your early comments. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ewan, well, team, team of us, talk to me. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I, I'm gutted. I, I'm still absolutely gutted. I can't believe that the guys didn't pull it out of the bag for us. Um, no, they're a bunch of, they're, well, they, they're losers, yet again. Uh, they're fans, although I don't like to call them fans because anyone who's a fan and sees their team humiliated doesn't go about singing and cheering. Uh, they're losers. Um, and the whole attitude of Irish rugby is losers. Uh, we I'd, I'd explain twofold in that number one, we win the little tournaments in between World Cups and think we're great fellas and hype ourselves up. Uh, yet come a World Cup when the best are all at their best, uh, we spend the six weeks reeling our necks back in. And also on our ground level, uh, we limit our player pool to rich kids by kind of the, the player pathway is almost exclusively with some exceptions to the rule through private schools that are beyond the reach of most. What kind of a sport limits its player pool to just a small percentage of the population? It's it's suicide. Yeah, we've a bit to unpack here, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) But but the hard part is, and and like as someone who loves rugby, the hard part is I find it hard not to kind of nod in agreement with about 85-90% of what you're saying there. Um. Well, the, the reason what I will say, Danny, I mean, there's a, at grassroots level, at club level, up and down the country, there are some wonderful people in Irish rugby. Absolutely. Uh, wonderful players, wonderful volunteers, wonderful coaches, brilliant for kids up and down the country. No one is hound, saying anything about that. What I, my, my issue is around elite rugby, which is pro rugby in Ireland, yeah. because the doors for all those people who put in all that work 
are largely shut unless basically they peak at 12 years old and show they have world-class potential and therefore get a scholarship or their parents are loaded and they can peak in a more natural way later on in their teens and, and that's what bugs me about Irish rugby and I, I struggle to get behind it for that reason. No, and, and yeah, and I get you, and it is not very often that you would hear of uh, somebody breaking through who hasn't come through uh, the academy system, as it's being called now, to try and break away from the school system. Um, but we, we, we'll jump back to that, because I think well, when this podcast goes out, the World Cup will be, will be dead and buried, and for a lot of people it'll be great because it wasn't uh, the best of tournaments. I'm going to exhume it repeatedly over the next few months. That doesn't shock me. That doesn't <laughs> shock me. Um, but the, the theme of us thing and the whole fancy... Now, look, I, I'm completely in agreement with that, by the way. I hate this nonsense of the medal for participation, and I hate this nonsense of uh, we go and we're great crack. I, I hate that shit. Like, you, you, you go to a tournament like that to win. But on, on the criticism, though... Uh, I just I think some people who have made criticism and I don't know because I, I I don't know if if at the time you were were tweeting about it or if you you commented on it or not, but my brain jumps back to the Euros and the Irish football fans and how weren't they brilliant, and the, you know putting them against say the English fans who are riding on the streets of France, but the Irish lads are just having a sing song and weren't they great and wasn't it brilliant to see them doing that and sure aren't we all brilliant and then we weren't we weren't having a sing song when we were losing. We were being beat by Japan. The pictures are looking at uh, Joe Schmidt, who looks completely ejected. And in the background, there's Irish fans smiling and laughing right at the camera with, with Joe Schmidt. We got knocked out of the tournament and the fans were on the streets singing and smiling and drinking and they were held good time paddies. It's the exact same thing. Apply I think it. there's a happy medium, I, I, I would suggest. I mean, as your team is losing, as you're behind the coach who is, like, traumatised watching this on to be, to be mm. jumping up and down, I, I, I just, I put it this way, can you imagine, you're two Dublin fans, can you imagine going to a Kerry Mayo All-Ireland final on Hill 16 and belting out, come on, you boys in blue for the, you mean, you'd be locked up. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> yet the Irish fans, it wasn't just the humiliation against New Zealand. It was they showed up at the semi-finals, both semi-finals, and start singing this out. Um, yeah. I mean, and a famine dirge at someone else's party is <laughs> a little bit off. I mean, and, and I, I get this. People say, oh, but they're there for the crack. Isn't that great? Why do we automatically have to associate crack to showing up at a game we're not involved in and singing a famine dirge? I mean, there's a level of decorum. This. Yeah, no, and I, I'm with you. I think the fields of Attenroy should be stricken from all sporting stadiums around the world. It is, yeah, it's just, and what fucking really boils my piss about the fields of Attenroy is Munster. Munster have somehow claimed the fields of Attenroy is wrong. Attenroy is in Galway, lads. So just, just leave it. Just leave it be. It's a miserable song. It's always been a miserable song. It always will be a miserable song. Don't come it out. It's, it's, it's awful. I mean, Danny Boy, if you want to dirge, let's go that way. There, there's oh. a belter of a tune now. But I mean, in, in terms of this is my problem with this as well. As a Kildare man and as a Cruzeiro fan for years in Brazil, who I fell in love with because it gave me a, a sense of being when I was down there. I've had plenty of losses over the years, some worse yeah. than others, but they really pissed me off. Like I'd either go home. I'm not saying I'd wake up the next day in a foul humour. I'm not saying I'd break the house. I'd say... I felt crap. I remember Kildare Donegal in 2011 when Kevin Cassidy kicked that massive point in extra time to, to, to win it. I remember sitting in the top tier of the Cusick stand for about 45 minutes. I couldn't physically bring myself to move until a guard told me I had to because they were shutting the place up. <laughs> I mean, my, my, my humour has ranged from that with teams I support and I care about. And I'm not telling anyone how to be a fan, but I am saying that fans tend to care when something they love and invest their time in is being humiliated in front of them or they're being heartbroken or whatever else. If you're a fan, that isn't the time to party no matter what you've spent. In fact, I'd be more pissed off and more miserable if I'd spent all that money going across the world to watch them be humiliated. Uh, yeah, and I'd, I'd be in a similar corner with you there myself in, in, in terms of, uh, look, if, if you do travel long distance it's bad enough going to a home game and seeing your team rather it's it's Ireland in the Aviva or rather it's Leinster in the RDS or rather it's City Point in Kilbogga Park if you go and you see your team lose 
yeah, it shouldn't be the crack. You should have a little bit of it, at least a three in, in that moment, especially up. when you're in the stadium watching it. Yeah. Maybe yeah. afterwards, if a few pints and you kind of break it down and you do that thing, Asher, it's only a game. And, you know, as the night goes on, you tend to have a good time. But in that moment, it's mm-hmm. it's a baffling reaction for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah, and, and like, and I, I, a couple of mates were at the World Cup and that kind of thing. And, like, they've since come home, obviously, because, you know, we don't shit and we got knocked out. But, uh, one of them. Uh, no, Breffney was not one of my mates. No, <laughs> absolute <laughs> carnage. Uh, but like, it, and I do get it. Like you're having a few beers, you're in like uh, whatever fifty thousand fucking seater, forty thousand seater, and you know it's a bit of crack. But then you know when that bit of crack suddenly kind of you, you have that moment where you go, hang on a second, we're now thirty minutes in and we've gone from leading whatever it was ten nil or thirteen nil, and we're now trailing. Japan, and this isn't the time for teaching the Japanese lads how to sing the fields of Admiral lads what the fuck is going on in that pitch. Like, and it shouldn't even be about the time, it shouldn't come to a choice. I mean, you just shouldn't feel it. Yeah, Nothing like in your bones should think of that. I mean, it just should be a natural reaction to either be nervous or angry or upset or whatever else. It shouldn't be, oh, well, we're here, we're losing, but there isn't a great fun. And that's that's why I use the word losers. Yeah. So people, people enjoyed the All Blacks uh, when we beat the All Blacks on the friendly, uh, Ewan. Test match, Graham. And challenge, and, challenge uh, match down around Challenge, <laughs> challenge match. But you, you didn't like them celebrating that being the bit OTT. So what's the difference? Well, no, I said it. I remember my, my, my last appearance on News Talk. Uh, this was for whatever reason. I remember saying on the Monday after it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I remember going, uh, I, my first line was, this is a very, very good victory. And there's a lot to be proud of here. And people suddenly took that as, oh, he's been miserable. He's this or that. All I did was apply perspective to that starting point of view and, and not to go beyond that, that in a year's time, this mightn't be the case. A lot can go wrong. That's like, let's not get presumptuous. Let's not get big-headed uh, because we'll humiliate ourselves again down the line. And we've plenty of bloody history doing this around Rugby World Cups. Let's say this is very good, but keep it in perspective. Let's say a big year ahead. Let's say heads down for the World Cup. And then let's say if we get to a World Cup semi-final even, well, we've taken a step further. Hasn't that been a bloody good 12 months? That That's all. But you got abuse, and people called you the Katie Hopkins of Irish sports journalism. Yeah, people are idiots, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are. And then people, I get abused for this. Would you believe that? <laughs> I get abused for that, too. And my, my rationale, and I always say this to people in person as well, when I say the majority of people are idiots, I tell them to step out their front door and look around. We were given a blank, blank canvas as a species, and look what we made. People are idiots. That, that transcends the sport. It, it's real life. Yeah. yeah but, like, you know, but, like, just, just, for, just for serious for a sec, like, you, you, you are a brilliant, brilliant sports journalist. So when, and you do the level of um, research you do into your pieces and the level of, I suppose, libel meetings that you probably have to go to before uh, it goes to print, um, so when some when somebody does criticise you and does call you the Katie Hopkins of sportsers, does it get to you at all? No, uh, it, it would more get to me if they had a thought out point back at me that I kind of went, oh shit, maybe I'm wrong about this, or oh I never saw it that way, or oh I hadn't, because there's a kind of a list of lazy terms. That's the latest. It used to be negative, begrudger, blah blah blah. People like to point. You don't even live here, as if that's relevant relevant to anything. And the Katie Hopkins yeah. thing has become the, the latest one. And they're kind of learnt off um, forums, and so many people use them that if you were to actually challenge me on a point, as I say, and if you're to go, well, that's wrong, or this is why I don't agree with that, then it might get to me a lot more. And then if I'd missed out on something or or whatever else, but that kind of store bought nonsense doesn't actually challenge anything and when you go after the the messenger it's usually because you can't counter their message one which you don't like so presumably so presumably in the in the midst of all this and i think when when kind of you know the 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 kind of cold hard daylight is kind of out and people have had a a moment or two to separate themselves from uh, the fields of atten roy with their japanese buddies 
and they're looking at this and they'll say, yeah, all right, look, maybe the sell-by date on Joe Schmidt and this Ireland team was 12 or 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. But in the build-up to a tournament like the World Cup, regardless of the fact that we're cursed and have never been past a quarter-final, you can't blame people for getting carried away and excited and wanting to be there and wanting to do well and all that kind of thing. So, like, just to jump back to the kind of point we're making about the All Blacks thing and saying, like, you know, that, all right, this might be the case in a year or so, lads, which, which fair enough, I know, you, you could argue that with anything, really. But, like, is is there any sort of problem with, like, are we expecting sports fans, then, to not have that emotional attachment or not have that emotional investment in the build-up to a tournament, where if they have a big result, they go, oh, shit, maybe, just maybe, this is their time, like. No, that, that's a fair point, and I think the majority of my criticism a year ago was actually aimed at the media, um, mm. because some of the lines that were coming out were, regardless of what happens in the Six Nations, we're in the top two in the world, Joe Schmidt is the greatest coach in the world, etc., etc., Peter O'Mahony is a superhero from another planet, I mean, there was loads of them, like, and kind of, my, criti- my, my criticism was aimed at that more so, because they should know better, when talking with fans, it wasn't so much a criticism of, of them getting excited. It was more a yeah. warning. Uh, it was more, lads, this could... They don't have to listen. Absolutely not. But I was just kind of trying to do my job and say, look, this is where it could and will likely end up. You mightn't care for that, but my job is not to celebrate with you. Do you think the relationship then between media and sports teams or sports bodies... It's more PR now, isn't it? It's more of a PR exercise than kind of brutal journalism, than hard journalism. Like, yeah, some some of it is. Uh, I think in Ireland, I mean, having been abroad and stuff, we're 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 blessed with some bloody good sports journalists as well, and journalists in general, and we can be overcritical of that. Uh, but worldwide and to an extent in Ireland, yeah, it's absolutely gone that way. I mean, if you look at the Premier League model or the NFL model or whatever else, uh, it's. It's access for PR, basically. If you want that player interview, if you want this, if you want that, you better toe the line. Um, like, I, I, I know there was a woman in PR in Manchester City who was ringing up journalists who were writing about them uh, critically, and she said, why didn't you warn us about this? As if they should get a heads up over stuff around human rights. And, and this is the common stuff. I mean, if you step out of line at a press conference, you might not be at another. And ultimately, well, you can give out about to journalists for that and say this isn't your job it is their livelihood is the flip side of that they don't know which is right they don't know which is wrong uh but the way the system is and also big sport has reached the stage where it doesn't really need media to get its message out the days of yeah everton or, or, or whoever whatever club saying we need to be on the back page or the fans won't be excited about this that that applies maybe at a League of Ireland level at a club GA level, but in terms of big sport, they've their own paths to market, be it YouTube, be it podcast, be it advertising. They don't need the media and they'll quickly dispel with them if you cross the line. Have seen, seen it a bit with um the FEI, Cal Dervin was uh appointed head of communications there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the the outgoing content on the uh, FBI's Twitter page is interviews conducted by him, and they're all sanitized. So is he, he's gone from a sports journalist to PR stuff. Is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, it's the dark side. It's it's, <laughs> it's leaving the it's leaving the Rebel Alliance for the uh, for Darth Vader and the boys. It's, so why uh, would you do that then? Uh, job security, money, a, a paycheck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, journalism is not the most uh, sought after career for a very good reason these days I mean you're constantly on shaky grounds you're working long hours to get piss poor pay a lot of the time a lot of young journalists get on to me in college and they say what way should I go about it and kind of my first line tends to be you shouldn't have done a journalism course <laughs> Jesus 100% right yeah 100% like I, I don't journalism in college and uh, well I, I'm not a journalist so <laughs> <laughs> you know I, mean? like, uh, I don't I'm, know if you're I'm, worse than me. I didn't do journalism in college and ended up as one. Day. <laughs> you probably did better than me out of that. Well, I I kind of moved into that dark world that you're talking about. I'm, I'm very much I'm I'm very much into the, the Darth Vader camp at the moment. So and and loving it, might I, I add. I mean, Jesus, and especially in places in in Ireland. I mean, I as as a freelance journalist, I couldn't afford to live in Ireland. I'm kind of fortunate. I fell on my feet with the World Cup being in Brazil and the Olympics, and I ended up staying down there a long yeah. time. But I mean. When I look at wages in journalism and they're not changing and I look on wages 
and and costs and rent and stuff in Dublin, no way. And that's kind of dripping down across the rest of the country. It's just not doable. So we can completely understand people who, if you have a family, does it really, do you want to do the moral thing and kind of write your article criticizing someone or do you want to, do you want to live comfortably? This is it. Um, we need journalism though. I was going to say, and I suppose that leads into kind of, and, and half sticking with rugby and half moving into kind of uh, a much bigger picture. And, and we will get to ask you about your best friend in the world, Mo Farah. Um, <laughs> but Paul Kimmage is probably one of the last great bastions of that kind of hard-hitting journalism when it comes to asking questions and demanding answers. And... Uh, look, we, we've had Jamie Heaslip on this podcast. I, I really enjoyed having him on the podcast as well. But uh, he's dug himself into a little bit of a hole. And Paul Kimmage is kind of currently standing over that hole and not relenting. Like I've never met someone uh, with the morals of Paul Kimmage in my life in any sphere. Uh, Paul has been shafted more times for doing the right thing. Yeah. And he's never heard on it. Um if you look at the Sunday Times where I used to do the big interview, Paul's that was the first thing I used to read in, in, in the 90s and early 2000s, um, kind of mid-2000s, I think it was up until. Uh, went after Lance, obviously, and got some credit for it. David Walsh probably got more credit. Paul was unerring when it came to going after Team Sky then, who obviously had the same owners as the Sunday Times. And... He'll forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but what I felt from it was he got shown the door because he wanted to keep doing the same kind of investigative journalism, whereas David uh, turned around and started doing the kind of PR thing and not asking the same questions and believing lies he hadn't around Lance. Um, and Paul has never let go of that. And I kind of, A, he has that kind of, I mean, it's weird, let me put it this way, I suppose. That trait is in some people that you keep going after something and you won't let it go until you kind of get what you want out of it. But often in society, I think it's used for people who don't particularly use it for good. Kind of the sociopath trait of kind of walking on people to get to the top and being a CEO and always for your own self gain. Uh, Paul has always done that for a very different reason. Um, and it was to get to the truth and a greater good. And I often wonder, is it the cyclist in him that kind of you don't give up on the side of the mountain, uh, that kind of endurance. When he gets something in his teeth, nothing gets back out. Uh, and I just do wonder, is it from the long stages, the hard graft, the not quitting? And and the more people kind of say you can't do that, Paul, the more he does it. Yeah. And there, there are people that won't read him because they think he's a hypocrite because, uh, because he did peds before when he was a cyclist. I think it gives them a better view of it. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I don't think, I mean, I, I, I don't think doping is, well, I, I know doping isn't black and white. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm just writing an article here this evening on whether it should be legalized or not. Um, and I've gone after dopers a lot in, in my, because it's not black and white. Part of me, well, a lot of me thinks it is human nature to cheat. It is human nature to get ahead, be that breaking the speed limit, be it double parking, be it a kid at a Google Sports to kind of edging ahead of the line before it, all those things. I mean, it's complete human nature to cheat. And sometimes I wonder if we hold, um, now I'm not giving cheats a pass because some are doing it and therefore they're cheating their, their competitors. But my point is, I, I, I kind of wonder why in sport, uh, given that A, it kind of takes the alpha personality to achieve an elite sport, that they'll do anything anyway. Why we expect them to have different values when dangling massive rewards in front of them than we do normal humans when those rewards aren't even there? I mean, humans cheat over the littlest thing. Why would an alpha personality told they can have millions if they cheat not cheat? Yeah, and, and that's and that's that's the thing, isn't it? That it's it's that it's trying to balance that whole thing of striving to be the best or striving to to break the world record or whatever the case may be, but also doing it in a way that's deemed kind of fair uh, in air quotes because this is audio i just realized but anyway um <laughs> but like and, and that's why i suppose when you, when you read these kind of things and like the, the opening sport is something that you could spend forever talking about and probably never ever get to the bottom of it either because as soon as they develop a test you know the the dopers have found a new way to get around the kind of thing um and so how are the south african rugby team getting around it 
the well, moment. Well, there, there you go. I was actually going to say, like, we're, we're facing into a World Cup final that, that I don't believe, and I'm, again, I'm saying this as a rugby fan, I'm saying this as somebody who really fucking wants South Africa to win because the thoughts of England winning are just going to break my heart. Like, I don't believe they're clean. I really don't, like, and I don't I don't see, I know every, like, and, and I'm wondering, like, you've seen that photo of the team uh, after training or whatever with, with their shirts off, and I'm like, there's no way. You know, well, it's very easy to get around it. I mean, it's it's most people who have doped will tell you you have to be an idiot to get caught, um, for a number Jesus of reasons. Christ. Um, like the a the drugs are so far ahead of the detection methods. Yeah. Uh, there's that way. Um, secondly, while the detection is a problem, the people using the detection are another problem. If you want to look, for instance, at how Russia's state-sponsored doping worked, all they had to do wasn't exactly James Bond stuff of kind of carving a hole in the wall and passing in vials of piss, and that kind of suddenly water couldn't cop that. Um, this is thirdly, this is big business and may not want to get caught even when it can. Why would you sabotage your own business, for instance? Uh, and we've seen that again and again. And I look, for example, at USADA and, and, and Travis Tiger to over Salazar is kind of saying, wow, we did it again. Aren't we great? Well, no, this has actually proved you're a failure because much like with Balco, much like with Lance Armstrong and now with 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 uh, the Nike Oregon project, mm. what you have here is the FBI coming in, proving there was doping and doing something about it when you couldn't work out there was doping or do anything about it. <laughs> so I mean if that's going on and then then you want to get into like there's 30 different derivatives of EPO in China at the minute on the market they don't know how to test for any of this stuff if you Jesus. want to if you want a micro dose I mean unless someone catches you within that day yeah there's off-season doping. I mean, in tennis, there's often rumours about certain tennis players who get injured for six months of the year, doped at the gills, and the benefits of that can last for, like, they did a, a few years ago, I'm trying to remember which drug it was, it may have been steroids, on mice in the University of Oslo, and they found, like, the, the benefits of that could last 10, 15 years. So, I mean, once you're doing an off-season, you're always going to get the benefits of it. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's loads of ways around this, and there isn't the will and there isn't the way, basically, to stop any of it. So then when you see things then, like, you know, the and just because you mentioned David Walsh and all that, and you see things like David Brailsford and this marginal gains mentality, or you see uh, Mo, Mo, Mo Farah going on about uh, the whole thing of, like, oh, just, just because my coach has been found out, it doesn't mean I'm guilty. Like, where where does that place things in, in, in the grand scheme of things? Like... Uh, anybody who, anybody who believes that is surely off that rocker. Yeah, uh, although people have a very weird kind of parasocial relationship with athletes that they see as heroes and mm. they want to live vicariously through them or they want to believe that someday we'll, they'll meet them and this will be the greatest person they've ever met and that's my hero and they do everything right. And it's really weird. Um, but it's it's common and that be that with, that can be, be it with an actor, be it with a, whoever, like, you know, um, and it's the same with sports people. It's the celebrity thing now that people go bananas over celebrity, believe everything they say, believe everything they do, um, and, and they kind of get duped into that. And it is. It's a mental problem. <laughs> I've no, I've, there's no question about it. I mean, it is a kind of a psychological issue in, in, in some people. And I don't know why you'd want to believe it. I, mean, I don't know why you'd go against all logic and all evidence of some person you've never met in your life in your head hasn't cheated in a sport it's 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 baffling but i mean as i say it's kind of psychologically off do you think um do you think kimmage will get the answers from jamie heaslip uh no uh, and I, I i think it's probably different to lance and that that book is kind of closed he's not playing anymore heaslip will just want to sell his book he'll block him on twitter he won't do interviews and he'll just wander off into the sunset whereas with Lance he was actively on the tour actively winning actively pissing people off around him in his team so so, so maybe not and I don't know I mean I think I think sometimes I mean as well we can zoom in too much on, on one thing and be that Salazar be that Heaslip be that Armstrong I think in, sometimes in the media we need to step back out and look at the bigger picture here because all we're getting in those little instances is kind of one peak behind the curtain and I think we need to just draw the entire drapes right back and say, let's look at the bigger picture. Because in any of these cases, where is the accountability of others? I mean, if you want to talk about Salazar, 
where, where was the accountability of Nike, who knew what was going on and remain in the sport? Where was the accountability of Sebco and the IAAF, who pandered up to all these people? Where is the accountability of other coaches who worked with Salazar, of athletes who worked with them? Um, we get too excited by one little thing when this is a big, big web. And I think it suits those in power within sport that we do get focused in on these one little one person they catch because it allows them to throw us a little bit of bait and go look we're doing our job we're doing everything's good again but it's not i mean it's all in cricket yeah and not to go all kgb and talk about a circle of accountability here but like <laughs> sure, surely then surely like there, there has to be something somewhere to, to like and just and just to stick with the, the salazar mo farrah thing because uh I got great entertainment out of your tweets on it. And, and Mo Farah's blocked you, hasn't he? Oh, years ago, I think. Yeah. His, his wife, <laughs> Paula still has a go. Did Paula Radcliffe block you? Uh, I think she muted me, even worse. So I got the illusion. <laughs> <laughs> she took the coward's way. She didn't even go for the full on. Um, I, when I'm having a temper tantrum at Merrow, I mute him. That's that's how it works for me. When I'm sick of a Shamrock Rovers propaganda, I mute them. Um, but sure, surely with all these, like I mean, I just you know, if a fucking walks like a duck, if a fucking quacks like a duck, it's a fucking duck. Like, and I just don't understand how these people and how they like the, you know, like the BBC will still have these people on as if they're the bastions of goodwill, and they'll still have Mo Farah will still have his fucking food range you can buy at Iceland or whatever it is, and you still have all these things and but people just even, play one obscurity. Like. It's even funnier though in the Premier League when you're watching, like the year Leicester won the, the league and you're watching and you're hearing commentators say, um, God, the energy levels of this Leicester team, we've never seen anything like it. And to be honest, we're seeing it with Liverpool now. Now, I think Liverpool are very good to watch. But you... I, was, was it the weekend? Whenever I watched Liverpool last, the commentator saying the energy levels of Liverpool, they don't stop with their press and they don't stop with this and they don't stop with that. I think they're telltale signs. And look at James Milner as well. <laughs> I, I don't think most people care, though. That, that's the thing. Yeah, I don't think you they do. I think you're right, yeah. someone's watching Leicester or Liverpool or Atletico Madrid or Barcelona, if someone's watching Farah or um, you want Hassan or if they're, whatever they're watching, or if they're watching Chris Froome or Serena Williams... I don't think they give a shit. Um, I don't think the average person would really care. And that's probably the, the why we don't get to the bottom of a lot of stuff, because ultimately it's the entertainment business. And as long as these people and the companies they work for are making the sell, uh, then what's it matter if a few people are calling it out, as long as that doesn't have any great impact on the numbers. But Joe Soap sitting at the bar watching Liverpool play Leicester isn't going to wonder about whoever's energy levels. Yeah. Call, call me a purist, but I'll take my entertainment from the world where we know they're all on steroids. <laughs> w, w, WWE, thanks very much. Which world is that? <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the World Wrestling Entertainment run oh. by Vince McMahon. <laughs> There's an Irish girl in that now, isn't there? Becky Lynch, yeah, the Becky man. Lynch, yeah. Yeah, uh, former guest on this podcast. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, she's. Uh, it was. It was just before she became arguably the the biggest thing in pro wrestling uh, at the moment but uh lovely girl biggest sport female sports star now or she katie probably taylor would. or katie taylor you know, i think she probably I'm would sure she bigger than katie i mean how many is and i'm not is. saying in terms of talent or what she's achieved but i mean how many people watch women's boxing versus exactly she and she headlined uh, wrestlemania the first woman ever yeah, great. That's some going. She must be loaded. And she she beat Ronda Rousey in that. So I mean, yeah. head, headlines everywhere on that one. Wow, fair play to her. You and what's the story with the beef with um, News Talk? I don't know. I've, I've searched for answers, but I've got none. <laughs> You're not um, getting any, even, even when you tag Joe and the boys on Twitter, or no? I tagged Jer. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah. Him one day after, uh, didn't hear back. I'm sure he's very busy, and I don't know how stuff goes. I look, not them, but I know from media in general. Uh, I know there's a heavy push of rugby based on ABC ones, which are basically advertising it more valuable based on yeah. the quality of person and the wealth they have believed to be watching rugby versus soccer. Um, if you have 100 ABC ones, it's worth more than a thousand of the next category because of their dispensable income. And it's why you get schools rugby magazines 
that are 30 pages long in national newspapers. It's why rugby, even when it wasn't doing well, it got disproportionate coverage. Um, it's kind of. I think it's because it's just better, you know, to be honest. And better people, better people. Well, listen, listen those those are your words. <laughs> I I wouldn't dare say such a thing about the unwashed masses, but anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I just know in media, there's in, in Irish media, they don't really like you going after rugby too much. And that's always been the case back to the Sunday Tribune days. Mm. But but knowing the lads through the industry, would they not give you the heads up and say, here you look, we can't have you back on anymore because you're doing this, that or the other? Uh, I asked and I didn't get an answer. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's just no good. I mean, there could be a far more logical explanation. <laughs> there's way better out there, genuinely. It could be as simple as that. And if that's the case, I, I just I wish they'd tell me. But anyway, I uh, I, I, also, I don't think the book stops with them either way, Mero. Uh, Uncle Uncle Dennis is fond of blacklisting people. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, speak. It does a good segue about books because I had a question for you because. Uh, over the over the years, we've talked to Paul Howard so many times, and he would he'd always say that um, in the Sunday Tribune, he would always spend a lot of his time in with the lawyers and the solicitors about libels, about well, you can't say this, you can't say that. So, how did you get the book on Conor McGregor over the line? Uh, some difficulty, although I, I don't really my my knowledge of libel law isn't great. Uh, and I I never really saw it as my job there are far better paid lawyers within the media who I write as much as I think I can and push it as far as I can and it's their job to try and pull it back uh, is the way I've always (laughs) operated but it's a really complicated one because um, Irish law is antiquated in a way in that and it's not just Irish law for, you can't report on certain things in the Republic of Ireland uh, for fear of prejudi- prejudicing a trial. Um, and it could be thrown out by a judge. And there have been cases this year with the Irish Independent in prime time where they reported something, it went to trial, and a judge said, oh, well, we can't rule, or jury can't rule on this because it's already been in the media, therefore they've influenced. Yeah. Yet, for example, the New York Times can report on it, and everyone in Ireland will have read it. But that's fine because they're not in Ireland. So it hasn't really caught up with the idea that everyone reads everything everywhere and everything is is accessible. It kind of comes from a day when you go into Eason's or you go into your corner shop and buy the Irish Times or the Irish Indo and that was all that was on offer. Um, So when you're kind of publishing a book with a British publisher and you're living in Brazil and Portugal and it will make its way onto shelves in Ireland, uh, kind of a grey area. It's never good uh, when... It comes to legalities and your ass is on the line. <laughs> and do you have to give do you have to give Connor and his representatives the heads up of what you're writing in the book or anything like that? Uh, no. Um I asked to talk to them all for it. Uh, I told them I was doing it, not to give them a heads up because I was uh, because I wanted to talk to as many people as possible. And the fact that so few would talk was actually more insightful than anything that they could have possibly said, uh, because the control around the man is quite phenomenal. I mean, I know of one journalist when he, uh, a journalist was covering the, the trial around the bus attack, remember in New York? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and he got someone in his team who, who knew this journalist and he said, Connor's watching everything you're writing and doing. Uh, and I was kind of thinking, well, geez, if Connor is so worried about the perception of him out there, rather than getting on to journalists about reporting a court case, maybe don't get arrested, mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the book thing, Chaos is a Friend of Mine, it's it's out now, isn't it? It just, it just came out, did it? Uh, did it? Uh, I think it's out next week. I think it's the 6th or the 5th. I don't actually know. That's disgraceful. But it's one of those <laughs> things when you you kind of spend... No, but you kind of, it's one of those... You've, you kind of spend 16 months putting all your, a lot of your work time and so much of your free time into it. And I've read it about six or seven times already. That kind of once you're told by your editor that that's gone to the printers, you almost want nothing to do with it again. Uh, Eason's have a here that has released 28th of October. So, okay. uh, so fresh off the presses. 
Fantastic. <laughs> we'll, we'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, do. Chaos is a friend of mine. But but in in obviously the the research and the the months spent put together and and as you said you've read it now probably six or seven times. Was there anything in it yourself that you kind of went, oh fuck, that's gonna that's gonna cause a headache? No, because it's all stuff he's done. Um, mm. I, I kind of, I, I, I didn't want to solely, and I didn't really get into. I didn't want it to be kind of knickers down tales from women who slept with them or kind of yeah. drunk at night. I got a black eye from him. I didn't want to go down that route with it. I mean, I, I can touch on all that stuff, and I did, and I got into the reality of all that. But I wanted to delve deeper than that because. Uh, I kind of for a long time saw him as kind of the perfect sportsman for this time and place. Yeah. Um, or imperfect sportsman for this time and place. And that we've kind of had this surge of right wing nationalism of the strong man, be it Putin, Bolsonaro, Trump, Johnson, all this sort of stuff. And kind of culture has shifted. And he came along at a perfect time and UFC kind of grew at a perfect time so that he could take advantage of it. And he represents so much of that. And it wasn't just that, that he kind of came along at a time where we like to build up celebrities uh, for our entertainment. And then we get bored of them very quickly. And by God, we'll break them down twice as fast. So I wanted to look into what the, the kind of the, the celebrity culture of today, both from the perspective of those who build them up and also of the celebrity being broken back down. And none of that is to give him a pass. I mean, it is a biography of him, but it's yeah. to look at that from that perspective as well was kind of my goal. That may not be to every one of his fans liking, uh, and maybe the book isn't even for them, uh, yeah. but it's more to look at this guy at this time and place being a perfect representation of now. Do you think, like, and, and uh, yeah, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying about the kind of representation of now, um, and just when you talk about kind of his fan base, which uh, I suppose in, in current light, it's probably easy to argue that that is an ever shrinking fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing about McGregor, from Ireland it is, but in America, I can't see it being a shrinking. I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but I think the, the one thing about McGregor is the, the cult of personality that surrounds him has always been one of the, the major factors in his draw and in his kind of thing. And just, when you said earlier on about the ABC ones and the amount of money that they'll have spent or whatever, like, you know, the majority of the McGregor fans that bought into this cult of personality probably weren't in that ABC one category that you were talking about earlier, yet they were willing to spend the books to go to Vegas on several trips. They were willing to spend the books on the, you know, the, the dethroned t-shirts and in the Reebok t-shirts. And it, it was this swell kind of thing. And it was remarkable. Yeah, and, and while he very quickly built that kind of aura around him, in many ways he's dismantled it himself almost as quickly. Um, and it's just, it, the, the rise and, well, I know maybe the fall isn't completed yet, but certainly the rise and dip is, is remarkable. Like it's it's I, I don't think there's ever been anything like it in Irish sport. No, or in... It, it, no, I, I don't think so, especially when you look at the figures and what he's worth and international fame. I mean, Rory McIlroy and stuff is a very different sort of fame and a very yeah, classic yeah. sort of fame. Um, I, I think with McGregor was interesting, though, in that like he would have been absolutely anything we wanted him to be so long as we paid for it. And I think this is what the collective conscience of society came up with. We wanted this loudmouth guy who was racially insulting people, who was calling people a Nazi, who was saying, I'd ride into your shantytown, who was throwing bottles at people, who was smashing up buses. That's what people wanted. Um, and they got it. Now, that was always going to have a short time frame. And I think they did get bored of that. But I mean, with McGregor, even away from the book, I mean, in journalism, I've always got it in the neck from a lot of his fans. And at the beginning, I said, this is headed for a bad end if you keep this up. And they said, oh, you're a begrudger, you're negative, you're this, you're that. And now that it's all gone wrong, I kind of go, well, you have to look at the causes deeper than just he's a scumbag or whatever else like that. And they're like, oh, you're defending him. My, my position never really changed on him. I mean, I, I could see this natural curve. Um, it, that's in terms of the person. It, it, in terms of the athlete, actually, and going back doing the book, it kind of only it, it reminded me of how big and how much he actually achieved in the UFC sphere. I mean, when he was at his best, what he did so quickly yeah, was yeah. something quite... And I can understand the drop-off in terms of the athlete, because it was George Foreman, or no, Marvin Hagler, I think, said, um, 
he said it's very hard to get up and run the roads at 5 a.m when you're in silk pajamas um and and it's true i mean he 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 did everything he wanted um yeah and two-way world champion made the millions did everything and damn quick and i suppose the problem and we've seen it with boxers and things in the past when you come from a background like his uh you're given everything you become super wealthy achieve everything you wanted in sport and are told by both fans and ever-growing entourage that everything you do and say is okay that's not going to end well again that's not to give him a pass for anything he's done um or may have done but it is to look at it deeper and say there is cause and effect with these things and like mm. do you think then and just when you were saying about um you know the whole thing of uh the it's hard to get up and run roads you know in silk pajamas it, it's you know the, the whole thing of alexander wept for he seen there was no more worlds to conquer kind of thing like is is there both as the athlete and as the person um, if kind of the the stories are are true and if the the allegations are true, is, is there a road to redemption? We've seen road to redemptions for people um, who have committed crimes in the past with, with with athletes, and it boils back to what you were saying earlier, you and about the whole people have this weird psychological thing where where they want to kind of live vicariously through these these stars or whatever. I mean, is there a road back from that sense of things? But also, now that kind of he's being knocked off his perch, you know, and that rematch with Khabib Nurmagomedov is probably the attraction. Do you think the wealth will scupper the motivation to get back to the top, or is this a done? Is he is he basically over finished? Is what I'm very waffly trying to get to. Yeah. <laughs> uh... I, I think the athlete has probably finished. In fact, I think both are. Um, I, if what he said to have done is true, I mean, there's redemption from attacking a bus. There's redemption from drink driving. There's redemption from drug use. There's redemption from these things. There is not redemption from some things, yeah. uh, and nor should there be, thankfully. And I don't think even society has got to the stage where that, that, that that's just some things are off limits and always have to be off limits, and that absolutely is. Um, and it's a weird. It, it, it's funny. But I don't think there's a way back for the athlete either because I, I think the hunger is gone. But it always struck me with McGregor that it's a kind of a weird one in that his sanity was doing the most insane thing. In that getting into a preparing to get into a cage, and where the end game of it basically is to be strangled to the point of unconsciousness or beaten to the point of unconsciousness. And that's what you that's that's the one thing that keeps you sane in this life. That's that's not that's not healthy. I mean, that's that's a really bad place to be in. I mean, if you're not doing that, life is worse for you. Um it's an extraordinary mindset to have. So you're saying that about all MMA fighters? <laughs> uh yeah. And I and I, I would say boxers to a point as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean there's nothing like it and, and it's such I mean, the end. I was I was at the Nurmagomedov fight, and um, like the ending, there's nothing more brutal than it in sport. Like, and an athlete just gets a track and field athlete just gets slower. A soccer player pass goes astray or misses a goal. Rugby yeah. player just loses the game and goes on the beer or whatever else. I mean, whereas with with MMA in particular, I mean, your ending is going to be you being beaten in front of fans cheering. To the point of unconsciousness. Yeah, uh, it's no it, worse end in sport. It's yeah, and it's something that like as kind of an MMA fan and as a boxing fan, I I just struggle to, and and it's so weird because like I don't apply the same context to a younger fighter. So I mean, McGregor was twenty nine, thirty in that that fight against Khabib. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't apply the same context to him being choked unconscious or him getting the head poked off him that I do to say, the, the great Fedor, Emelianenko, getting the head hooked mm-hmm. off him, because I'm like, you don't need to be doing this, Fedor. Get out. Like, you, you, you've had yeah. your time. Do you know the, what age, I mean? like it's, the age. The, the age plays a big factor in my kind of uncomfortable feeling when I watch MMA fights, which, which is a weird... Yeah, which is which is weird, and it probably, you know, is nonsensical, because it, it, the end result is the end result. Like, but, yeah, yeah. It must be really yeah. hard to let go of, though, for now. Well, it is, obviously, because these guys hang around, and, I mean, I talk to people <laughs> in, in UFC that... 
like, and I remember thinking of McGregor just before that fight. Um, who was Tony Ferguson won the fight before? It was a brutal fight. I remember thinking McGregor must yeah. be sitting in that um, dressing room now, and he knows the roars, and he's going to come out, and the canvas is covered in blood, and all these things. And can you imagine the fear and the rush? and the excitement and the nerves in that moment. And you might only have that 15, 20 times as an MMA fighter in your life. How do you replicate that in any way, in anything you do? And I can kind of understand some things then, be it drugs, be it drink, why guys get into it. They're trying to replace that buzz that cannot be replaced. And when they realize that, then maybe it's when depression or whatever else slips in. Because if you don't replace it, you're in a bad way. Yeah, and like it's 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 weird as well, like in the sense of that that definitely plays a part of it. And then, like we had George Foreman on this podcast a long time ago, and when we asked him about kind of one of the several comebacks, it was always just down down to the green, down to the Benjamins. Like that's he he needed money, and that that's mm. so you know forty years of age, whatever it was, you know. And I think Bernard Hopkins was what fifty years of age when he was boxing. Like I mean, I think George Foreman was fifty five as well. Yeah, at one point, yeah. Hopkins is 52 or 53, was he, when he literally got knocked out in the ring the last yeah. time he was in it. He got punched through the ropes. You know, the, the, the lord of that payday, because they know, like, it doesn't matter. I could go off and do 100 after dinner talks. I could go off and, you know, do do a, a, a million training camps, but one, just one more match will give me the money I need for the next 10 years, kind of thing. Like, yeah. that and, and that carrot angling over them. It's exhilaration. I mean, even McGregor has money in the fact he keeps coming back. I mean, well, yeah, that's absolute it. rush of that must be just incredible. Everything else you do must be dull after that. Well, he said that for his next fight. Um, he tw- I think he tweeted saying, "Dana White, give it, give my fee to the first responders." So is that, I wonder, is that, yeah, is that the beginning of the redemption? I know he's uh, he's changed yeah. PR companies recently, uh, and I, they've been sending out legal warnings about stuff on his behalf. And I, when stuff came out recently, uh, I, I did notice that the PR company had changed, and there's been a drive about, oh, he donated this money to this sick child, and he did this to someone yeah. else. And, this. and I, and, and as I, I mean, redemption in America is usually quite an easy sell, but again, some things aren't redeemable from. Yeah, 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 and it it is interesting you point that out as well because it is something I've noticed this kind of uh, PR campaign to kind of try and rehabilitate. Was it he he built houses for families or something like that? Something this? like that, and even yeah, I thought there was he did at the end, though, did he? No, he he didn't that one kind of, but again, quietly got swept away. And in the the donate my purse to first responders, the what is it for every case of his fucking piss water whiskey? That's it. It is piss water. I don't know if you've tried it or not. If you're a whiskey, it is absolute piss water. Is it, no, I don't drink whiskey. My, my it, blood is angry enough as it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Jesus Christ. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's uh, yeah. It's not. Rose wine out for the ladies as well, does he? No, I, that was an April Fool's joke. Oh, was it? Was oh, it? Yeah. I, I didn't see it, but you know, nothing would surprise me. Nothing would surprise me. With, with all the with all the requests you had for for to talk to people uh, for the book, you know, did you get any people accepted? Like, did anyone say, "Oh yeah, I'll talk to you"? Or uh, not cl- not close to his camp. Uh, some other fighters, yes. Most other fighters, no. On the basis that it was interesting that only if he fights me again, I don't want to say anything that'll ruin my payday. And it kind of showed <laughs> McGregor's power within the sport. Um, but basically, it's not just him. I mean, he holds the careers of so many other people in his hands. Uh, yeah. Quite admired. The power he has within UFC is quite stunning. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it's it it is. It's quite difficult to balance the admiration for the athlete who gets to that level of power with the. I suppose the logic of the demise, but then the unforgivable acts that took place or are said to have taken place within that demise. Um, and, and it's very difficult to balance all of that. He's not the first, sadly. He won't be the last, sadly. And I, I do think there is a need to step back. And not, not People often think when you, as I say, when you kind of think, oh, let's look at the causes and effects of this. Let's study this more deeply. They, they seem to think you're trying to, to condone that. Uh, you can do that while still condemning it in, in the most withering terms. Speaking of demise, there. Uh, what about John Delaney? Speaking, spe- sorry, speaking of what crime? Speaking of demise, there. What about what about uh, <laughs> the FBI and John Delaney? On? If I often think with people, a lot of people in the FAI, if and and this goes to Conway and it goes to Delaney and it goes to several others in there who kind of backed him all along and and did what he wanted. 
if any of these people had brains half the size of their balls, Irish soccer would be thriving. Absolutely thriving. It's, it's honestly almost admirable, the stuff these people did, and Delaney in particular. I mean, can you imagine giving so little of a fuck that you're just going to use the company credit card to buy your wife, put her in the back of a limo and buy her this and buy her that and just presume, ah, it'll be fine. Can you imagine getting to that stage have within not, a, a small ne- football association? Have you never got your Friday chipper on the, the newspaper's credit card, you <laughs> No, no, no. I, I never had a newspaper credit card. Probably for the best, <laughs> I'd say. Given my but, uh. Do you think there's, like, is there, a, is there going to be a legal case there, as in, like, could he face jail or is that just... It, uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. An age, uh, and by the time it does happen, if it happens, uh, most people will have lost it. They probably have already lost interest because we rage so quickly that anger has a short shelf life these days. When we move on to the next thing, uh, it if it'll be the office of director of corporate enforcement will have to look at it, go through all the files or what's left of them, and knowing what we know about other cases that are smaller than this and have taken three or four years. By the time anything happens on that, you could genuinely be looking at six, seven, eight years down the line before something happens. Jesus wept. So, so no. But I wouldn't hold that. I mean, look, look at the banking crisis and look who was really held accountable there for something more serious, even if it was a similar mindset. Absolutely, yeah. But there was, there was, there was one of the. It was alleged that he spent ninety thousand, or he paid. His other half, ninety thousand euro, to be the French translator for the euros. For Incredible, one wasn't it? Well, he flew her and uh, and some members of her family and his family out to the euros as FAI employees and all their money. Got them tickets through it, put them up in hotels. They were staying in that big chateau outside Paris, um, and they were all on the FAI book. I mean, when you think of, and but you know, it's it's. You know, it pisses me off usually the amount of people who supported him on the basis, and even some still do because he opened the local pitch and they kind of yeah. shook their hands. And they kind of fuck the pitch. If he hadn't been doing that, you could have had dressing rooms, two pitches, and a stand built. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though. It comes back to my point people are idiots. Yeah, so, you're right. So though, you're right though, because that, that even as an avid League of Ireland fan, like the money in the League of Ireland has been neglected. So you wouldn't know where we would be if he didn't neglect so much. Hang on, though, lads. Are we are we all saying then that we won't be heading up to Monaghan to to watch games in John Delaney Park? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would suggest people look at those left behind as well. Look at Donald Conway still in there, who either was too stupid to realise what was going on with Delaney or he was complicit in it. It's one or the other, and you don't want someone who's an idiot or complicit in this sort of stuff in there. <laughs> He's uh, obviously both. Or, or, well, there is the third way, of course. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's always the third way in Irish stuff. Um, Yet he's still there. A lot of other people are still there and being brought back in through various channels. So not only is Delaney probably set the game back 10 years in terms of money missing and, and, and the way the accounts are, but those who helped him do it or didn't stop him doing it are also still there. So, I mean, it could be you're talking about when, when will Delaney be, will be brought to, to justice or, or whatever else. I'd, it'll be a lot quicker than Irish soccer will recover because we could be talking two, three decades in that case. Jesus. That's, that's Graham's night ruined the own. <laughs> He'll be sending me WhatsApp audios later, weeping into his phone, <laughs> staring up at the. I I know you're. It's it's uh, audio only, but I I'm, I can see here. This is visual. Uh, he'll be staring up at the picture of Christy Moore playing a guitar above his bed. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. We'll probably probably humming north and south to yourself to, to get yourself to sleep. Now. Get the little angel candles. Yeah. <laughs> um you you and as, as always it's it's a pleasure talking to you man. Um the book is Chaos is a friend of mine and it'll make a great stock and fill our lads. By the time this goes out, Halloween is over, so we're officially allowed to talk about Christmas. Um and not as I said in work earlier on, will we be allowed to say the C word? And I was told you absolutely won't be allowed to say the C word. I was like, What's wrong with Christmas? And they were like, Oh, that's not the C word we thought you were talking about. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it was actually, it was actually, it's a year in, in two days since the last time you were on. Yeah. And my football club in Brazil has basically collapsed nearly. What a, what a miserable year that was. This no, is what, happens. what this happens. This is what happens when you abandon and go to Portugal. 
<laughs> Cruzeiro, they were flying. One of the top teams in Brazil, double Copa de Brazil winners. Uh, it turns out that they were a front for massive money laundering. <laughs> now, they're still there. They're fighting relegation from the top flight as we speak. And uh, the board members who were behind it have been removed. But much like Ireland, to massive payoffs rather than to prison. Uh, and they've been left with their debt at the minute is 800 million hayis, which is about 170 million euros, which is in, in Brazilian terms. Jesus. A lot of money. Fucking hell. Mm. There's no, so there's you, no chance of a Bolsonaro bailout. No, I protested their ownership a few times. You see, Man City fans will come at me for this and say, oh, but you supported the corrupt team. No, I protested against them being corrupt. I didn't uh, change my team. And if only Hang they on. do, if only they would do the same, I would shake their hand. Hang on, were these protests similar to the green and gold until we're sold nonsense? Or were they, <laughs> were they actual proper protests? No, uh, well, I didn't do it, but a lot of people scaled the training ground and confronted the players. And then when the players left the training ground, there was, 11 bottles of cachaça at the local beer left in front each with a name on it for people they wanted to leave the club uh, there were windows smashed there was uh, punch ups uh, riot police proper protests Grand, yeah, yeah. So, so it was definitely more than a few yellow and green scarves knocking about the place that's alright I just wanted to check that for any any Manchester United fans who are looking for inspiration no this, this was protesting Brazilian style <laughs> alcohol and violence and there's, there's no chance of a Bolsonaro bailout for, for the team then no well it's, he's, he's been spotted I think in four different jerseys so far claiming oh for fuck's sake uh, which is almost as bad as his other beliefs yeah <laughs> oh Jesus yeah well look if uh, we'll, 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 we'll definitely ask you to come back on again and hopefully uh, at that stage you know the world will be a better place you know <laughs> and all, all, all the rights will, all the rights shall be put forward, and there'll be no wrongs left. Well, if, if, to, to finish with a bit of George Carlin, he said uh, he used to give out about um, people say save the planet. He used to give out about these Greenpeace folks. He used to say the planet will be fine. It's us that are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and and I you with that. <laughs> you go easy, will you? Fuck's sake. Um, thanks so much, Ewan. Ewan, thanks. It's a pleasure as always, man. Really appreciate your time. Love it, lads. You take care of yourselves. Oh, you enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good. Ewan's always great to talk to. He is. He is. And, like, and, and I think anybody who gets wound, so wound up on Twitter just needs to put the phone down for an hour. Yeah, I mean? take a few deep breaths. Like, like he's he's getting enjoyment out of out of winding people up a bit. And like, the, look, there's nuggets of truth in what he's saying. There might be a tiny bit of hyperbole in there as well, but there are nuggets of truth. And and that's if you go back to the very start of that conversation that we had with you around the the rugby aspect. I do find it hard to disagree with some of his points. I don't necessarily 100% agree with everything he's saying, but I'm more than happy for anybody to present logic and reason to an argument. I don't have to agree with it. But so long as they're not just being a tosspot, I'm all right with it. I don't think you told them what you didn't agree with them, did you? Uh, I can't actually remember, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, think, I think I more so asked questions. I don't necessarily agree with the... Uh, to be honest, I kind of do, actually. Um, the whole <laughs> No, I do. Like the, the, the whole thing of, like, you know, there, there's not really an avenue other than schools because you just don't hear of you in fairness you don't you just don't hear of many it's players in the, it's in the very it's in the you hear of it but it's in the minority it's definitely in the minority yeah well yeah. in into the professional route you wouldn't hear of it but there is there are working class go, lads that play oh, no, no, 100, oh, no i'm not disputing that there's a hundred percent that but it's more so you know guys who didn't come up through the private school system and didn't get into the academy system yeah. in the provinces you, you don't hear the guys breaking through from the AIL actually and this is what I'm fucking raising my only thinking and saying this now because I would have loved to have talked about this the AIL back in its glory day was fucking magnificent but now it is the forgotten child of Irish rugby and it's a damn shame because the AIL is fucking brilliant and what, what's any, the AIL? the All-Ireland League the, the, it's, it's the, the league format of rugby so, and it's still it's, going is it? it is still going but it's it's neglected it's, it's, it's definitely neglected and uh yeah, look, look. There's a whole other podcast in that man, but uh, yeah. I'd encourage anybody who is feeling downtrodden or downbeat after the World Cup and Ireland's performance in the World Cup to go out, find your local rugby team, and just watch a game down the park. Just do a pop over to Sea Point, lads. If you're in the borough, pop over to Sea Point. 
if you're passing through Donnybrook, go in and watch Old Wales play. Do you know what I mean? Don't go and watch anybody like Bechtov or Wanderers. They're pricks. Don't go and watch them. But go and watch D-Point. Go and watch Old Wales. It's all good. Like, it's all good. Or if you're down the ball, go and watch Buccaneers or fucking Shannon or Young Munster or any of those lads. Or just listen to us all the time, our back catalogue and everything. That'll do as well. That'll do as well. Anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed that, Graham. You have oh, dinner. Boy. You've dinner to go and eat, and I have a wolf pack to go and start out because I can hear them running around. I have my door closed today. Three dogs you have there, you imagine. I do. Three, three wolves. Three wolves. Uh, love and life with them. They're great crack. Give me great where entertainment. Can you, where can you listen to us? You can listen to all previous 193 plus bonus episodes of 600 on WTSpod.com. Or you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict, anywhere and everywhere there is a podcast. You just have to search WTS Pod and you will find me and Mero there waiting to give you a big audio hug. Absolutely. Mero, if people want to engage on the social media with us, where can they do so? Twitter at WTS Pod. I'm at Merigamania. He's at Dan John Murray. And our guest this week is at Ewan McKenna, E W A N. M-A-C-K-E-N-N-A a gent and if you see his name attached to any article in any newspaper just read it just do yourself the favour make a cup of tea and spend the 10 minutes reading it you won't be disappointed Mero until next time clear eyes full hearts can't lose too sweet good luck <laughs> <laughs>